Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Northwest Career Services Assistant Director Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Director of Career Services here at Northwest. And today's guest on our show is Robin Gallagher. <laughs> so, welcome. Hello. I am the chair of language literature and writing, and I've been in this position now for several years. I'm also an associate professor, and I teach in our area that we sometimes call writing studies. So my, in terms of kind of scholarly background or, you know, kind of things I do, I look at all different types of writing. Lately, my uh, time has been spent thinking a lot about social media and writing online. Um, but I also do some creative writing and nonfiction essay work myself. So done a lot over the years, but that's where I am right now. Well, it's great to have you here. I would like to take you far, far back to little Robin Gallagher. Well, you weren't Gallagher then, but little Robin, Mm -hmm. what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you always want to teach? Yeah. So maybe I did teacher things, right? Like, Um, You know, I can share a couple of stories, I guess. So I tortured my little brother, right? I mean, he was kind of the, he was my first student, I guess. And, um, you know, I was very intent on having him be ahead of other students. So I I don't know why I was particularly invested in this. Might have been related to the fact that that my parents seemed not interested at all, right? And so I felt as if maybe I was filling a gap, right, that was needed there. But yes, so we worked on the alphabet and times tables and so forth. And I, I don't remember the moment in which he said, like, enough already, you know, Leave me be, but surely that must have happened, right? Probably pretty early on. Um, I also had a, another, I would I would consider that actually a little bit of a success story in terms of early teaching. I think we've talked about it recently. I think he would say say the same thing, like, you, know, you really kind of helped me out. But I have I have a, a little bit of a fail too, and that I don't know if y'all had this experience, but when I was in, you know, when I was young, like elementary school, uh, and it seems to still occur, uh, people like to make clubs. Right. There's this like we all we want this sense of belonging. We want to feel like we're a part of something. And I think one of the ways we do that is we make clubs. Right. And so kids will like make clubs about all sorts of things. Um, so I I made a club. OK, it's not important that clubs are very well defined. Right. Like sometimes kids will go that direction. They're very specific. Like this is the club for this type of anime or this is the club for this, you know, kids who live on this street and think these things and wear Nike shoes or something. I don't know, whatever, right? But I wasn't, I, but you can also have clubs that it's like, it's just a club, right? We don't need to know more than that. It's just a club. And so I had people come to my house and I had like chairs set up, kind of like a classroom, right? And I was going to like teach them some things. I've learned more about audience since then. <laughs> they all really thought that club sucked. I mean, you know, they 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 were very unhappy, and it was a failure. And but I just kind of thought that's how it was going to go. I was going to teach some things. They were going to teach some things. Seemed like a natural course of events. <laughs> <laughs> that's not at all what they wanted to do. Anyway, so yes, I, I did teacher things. Um, I did think about being a teacher. I thought when I went to college, I might be a teacher. But then I was a bit mixed, confused or something by the whole be in an English department, be in the ed program, 
requirements. I was working full time as well at that time. And it just seemed too daunting to, I was just trying to figure out college. I couldn't, I just really couldn't figure out that. And it was back in the days where advisors just handed you the catalog and were like, good luck. So, and then I kind of stumbled my way through and, and ended up doing this as a gig and felt pretty lucky. So, so you talked about teaching, right? Being an interest, but Mm -hmm. you say already in school, you were thinking, choosing English, choosing teaching, like Mm. feeling caught in between that. What about English? Was that your undergrad major? What, like, what about English drew you? Sure, sure. So kind of also from a youngish age, I was kind of, I, I read a lot. I was kind of interested in issues of communication like to kind of think about problems of communication. I would have never said that, right? But I was up in people's business, right? Um, like my brothers and and so forth, trying to help them out, right? And so, you know, I can re- kind of recognize those, those were things and issues of language. I was interested in learning another language. So really for me, language is really the thing that's kind of the love that's underneath there is kind of communication and language. English was the natural kind of fit for that. Uh, once I got to college, I did well in English classes. Uh, you know, I tend to do well there. I like to read. I like to talk about texts. Pretty open and interested in talking about any kind of text. But, you know, and so then when I got to my undergrad, um, you know, yeah, English felt like the right place. I'm not sure it was the exact fit. Like I, I did the literature coursework there, but I tend to gravitate towards the more theoretical courses that were dealing with text in general and a little bit interested in like cross-disciplinary stuff, right? And then when I got up into my master's, I was introduced to what we were calling at that time rhetoric and composition, and, and that name still holds, but writing studies is what I tend to use. What is rhetoric and composition for the lay people? Yeah, sure, sure. So it is the study of writing. It's the study of not specifically literature, right? In fact, we kind of leave that to our literary scholars who do that work, but we're more interested in kind of how people write, why they write in all areas, right? All kinds of writing, um, as well as how people learn to write. So that's the focus there. And the rhetoric piece of that that comes in is about understanding purpose and audience and a rhetorical situation, because we need that to understand how we write, why we write, so forth. So that's the short version. So that's, that's basically what we do. I mean, that's career services, right? Is all about writing. Your piece of paper is your rhetoric to the employer, right? Absolutely. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm jazzed about like kind of everyday writing, right? I'm I'm jazzed. I'm teaching um, technical, professional and technical communication right now, professional and technical writing. So, you know, we're doing that, but I'm interested in grocery lists and, you know, comments on a discussion forum online or people who are writing other you know, other longer pieces, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of interested in all of them. And I think people don't think about that kind of writing when they think about, you know, language, literature, and writing. You're thinking that mm-hmm. it's, you know, you're critiquing something or you're writing, right. you know, a thesis paper or, you know, that's, I, I definitely don't think you think about social media or comments or, you know, grocery list, you know, like that, that that's still writing. And you definitely don't think about that sort of stuff. So that's very interesting that that's kind of where some of those classes veer now. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and we have, um, you know, I think sometimes students aren't as exposed to it and even other people on campus, right. Aren't kind of as exposed to discipline because most people don't learn about it until later. Mm -hmm. That's changed. We have, like we have 
degrees in writing now. And so mm -hmm. people at Northwest are learning about it earlier. Uh, but for a lot of people that have come through education, you know, or are not, mm -hmm. not uh, as recently graduated or so forth, it may be a kind of an area they don't know about. But we've got a wide range, too, of like kind of subfields within that, right? Like mm -hmm. professional and technical writing is a subfield. Online writing is, a, you know, is another kind of subfield of that. Teaching first year writing, teaching composition is a subfield of that. Mm -hmm. Running writing programs, another one. You know, it just goes on and on, just in the same way other other areas have subfields. One of my favorite classes to teach, and I, I've gotten to teach it a couple of times as a special topics class, and is on writing and reading apologies. And that's really fun. And that kind of brings in a whole bunch of different genres, but it's looking at it from like, what are you trying to do? <laughs> apologize. Mm -hmm. and how does that work? So, yeah, hmm. fun stuff happening. How did you decide to do a PhD and how did you get then into this faculty position? Like a lot of people, I have a bit of an unconventional route. And some of that probably started off pretty early. Like I said, I worked full time while doing most of my undergrad. Not all of it, but a lot of it, especially early on. Where did you work? I worked when I started out, I was working at a pharmacy. Well, it was called a pharmaceutical company, but it was really nursing home supply. So that's where I was initially. I've also worked in oil and gas, like I worked at a company for, you know, doing oil and they did. I did not do oil and gas exploration, but they did. And that was a wild ride. That was love. Every single one of my experiences has been just so like, it's hard to, you know, stress it enough. So important. I think if you're like a learner and you like to figure things out and you like to be faced with new situations and challenges, every place you land is like, this huge opportunity, right? And so I was there when I started doing the nursing home supply stuff, working with nurses and nursing homes and working with them on their charts and the things that the residents needed and making sure their needs were taken care of in terms of supplies and that sort of thing. Um, so that was interesting. I learned a lot about medical field, right? And worked at, like I said, oil and gas exploration. I learned about a lot about land leases and mineral rights and writing legal documents. I got so interested in writing legal documents because uh, that's its own world. And I also worked, let's see, I worked for an environmental engineering company for a while and mainly doing administrative stuff, right? It was fine with me because I was interested in writing as so I was writing up all the stuff, right? Um, environmental engineering, that got me into like this really unique, interesting team environment. So I went from like oil and gas exploration, which was all these kind of like maverick gambler types, not all, right? But a lot of that was controlled by that over to this environmental engineering company, and there was this team-based, very collaborative workspace. So yeah, worked worked a bunch of different places. But anyway, I didn't have, uh, my dad did some, some college, but didn't graduate. My mom didn't go to college. I've most recently learned that she wanted to, and she was days away from going. And her dad said, no, you're not. And this was a big disappointment for her. And that's actually, actually been like an, a thing that she's really it's been part of her identity now you know that it really um but she set about to just kind of educate herself she said i dove into the classics i got every book i could so on so i didn't have that kind of basis right a uh, college basis so um did my undergrad i was um already uh with john at that time we were already engaged and he got accepted to a program up in ohio i went with him for a little bit but i didn't finish my undergrad I bounced back to Texas to finish my undergrad and then decided, well, I was going to go to Ohio. Ohio. I kind of like the school thing. I didn't know what else I was going to do. So I went to get my master's and that's where I found writing studies, right? And kind of got in love with teaching, started teaching. I came out of that and 
people in my field were very employable with the master's at that time. And so I came out and I didn't decide to go back for my PhD for a long time. And at that point, it really was primarily a career decision initially, but I can't overstate what I gained and learned in it. You know, I just saw that myself, I was, you know, I was an instructor position and I knew I'd be happy just teaching and doing that. But I also was looking at a potentially long career in that position and I wanted some more mobility career-wise. So that was my initial reason. Now, I don't think you can do it unless you're invested. So obviously I was happy to go learn and do things and, you know, do that. So long answer, but that's how I, that's how I got <laughs> So what do you do that's different as a chair? And I mean, not duties wise, but like how, because you were an instructor, right? Mm-hmm. And now you're associate professor and also chair, which are, those are different aspects of sort of the same professorly role, right? Mm -hmm. Can you kind Mm -hmm. of untangle that for me? Like, how does the life of an instructor differ from the life of an associate professor differ from the life of maybe the chair who's also? The instructor and associate professor one is a little bit harder to separate. Um, And I think that's partly why I wanted the mobility is because I could see there was a lot of, at least in our own area, a lot of overlap, especially if you are someone who wants to be involved in curricular decisions being on committees, and some of those other conversations at the university. So that door is open for instructors to participate in those conversations in a lot of places around campus. Now, each department does have a little bit of its own culture, right? So, but at least, you know, in our area, the door is pretty wide open for that. And we're highly collaborative, highly democratic kind of department in terms of how we function. So, you know, teach 4-4, do that, right? What does 4-4 mean? Because sure. we have a lot of okay. listeners who have yeah, no idea. Thank you. Yes, right? yeah. So that's teaching four classes each term, right? Or a total of 12 credit hours. And so um, whether you're an associate professor or assistant or full professor or you're an instructor, um, if you're a full-time teacher and don't have any other duties assigned to you for which you get, you know, they say, okay, you don't have to teach as much. Now you can do this other thing. Then you're, yeah, you're teaching probably eight eight courses or so a year. If you're in the sciences, you might have some labs thrown in. There are variations. But um, yeah, so a lot of that looks the same, right? Um, now, if you're associate professor or assistant, there's the expectation you do a lot of that extra stuff. And instructors can say, no, that's not for me, right? I'm not really interested. And others want to engage in that in terms of their professional development. And it's just fulfilling to be in those conversations for them. Chair is, yeah, chair is quite different. So I am. I started in fall or really summer, midsummer, two thousand nineteen. Um, so I started, uh, got a little bit of time under my belt, and then COVID hit. And then I was uh, doing jobs and and things as part of that as chair that nobody had ever had to do before. And I'm not trying to say nobody else was doing it. I'm just saying. There wasn't really a precedent. It was COVID, yeah. It was COVID. There wasn't precedent for anything we were doing, right? Everybody was doing jobs in a way that hadn't been done before. So that's not unique. It's just kind of been an odd way. It was an odd way to start. Um, So I think some of what I'm doing now is still figuring out the position a bit. There is a stewardship with being chair. I think of it as kind of being lead steward um, as a... There are supervisory kind of tasks too, obviously, but I think when people are faculty members, they they need to have that too. If they're a teacher, if you're part of any organization, I hope you have like some sort of idea that you want that place to be good, 
right? You want it to be a good place to work. You want it to do good things. Um, so that kind of stewardship, make a contribution. But when you're chair, that's even more prominent and visible. Um, so I think a lot of it's about visibility. I've done a lot of thinking, and, and some of this is at the suggestion of people that kind of mentored me, the difference between being a representative and being a leader. You know, a representative is just kind of like, I'm going to represent always, you know, we're going to do a majority kind of thing, and then that's going to be the representation. And I'm not sure it always works that way exactly. Um, and so some difficult choices sometimes are around that. I like, and so I was told recently that I said this a while back. This is a weird thing about memory, right? Somebody said to me, oh, you said this thing to me. And that was kind of cool. And I was like, I said that? And now I'm having this weird experience of it because I think it's true, but it's like a new discovery for me. But I guess sometime <laughs> I said it. So I don't even know how to unpack that, honestly. But uh, I think I probably got it from someplace else, maybe Mike Steiner or somebody. But they had said that different positions were about the types of problems you like to solve. And I think about that a lot. I do find it fulfilling to tackle the kinds of problems that a chair is asked to tackle, right? Whether they be budgetary issues or just, I think a lot about how do I create an environment here where everybody can be happy and do their best stuff. That's my goal. And, you know, I'd like some innovation. I like sustainability, <laughs> right? A little all of, of this, a little things, of that. A little of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we want it all, right? But I feel like that's part of my charge is to kind of lead us in, you know, provide an environment, create a space for people where we can do those things. So, yeah. Going back, that's so this is kind of I'm having an epiphany on camera uh -huh. here. Okay. For those listeners who can't see me, um, mm -hmm. I'm having a little epiphany here because, you know, I talked about how what we do, having students develop documents that kind of students, alumni, whoever comes to us, having them develop a document that sort of argues for their suitability and role, right? But mm -hmm. really what they're arguing for is that these are the type of problems I like to solve. And mm -hmm. if you think of it that way, rather even than skills that are transferable, if you're solving a similar problem across, you know, that, that transcends a discipline, that tra transcends sure. different types of positions, just knowing like, hey, these are the problems that I'm really good at solving is a huge leap mm -hmm. ahead of pretty self-awareness piece of pretty much any candidate yeah. that I've interviewed, really. So thank you for yeah. giving me that that new way of thinking sure. about it. <laughs> well, and thank my colleague who gave it back to me. So, <laughs> you know, memory, what can you do? Yeah. What <laughs> are... We see ourselves reflected back and we don't even recognize mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So... What are your, I mean, maybe you have a couple of mm -hmm. writing advice tips or something. Oh, gosh. I don't know, common yeah. things you see or have some insights, epiphanies you've had other than that one uh, regarding mm -hmm. writing. And it could be writing yeah. in general. It could be the grocery list to the thesis paper. Sure, sure. I think writing is really hard. And I'd love, I mean, I'd love to say something different. And for some people in some contexts, sometimes it comes easy. But almost for nobody does it come easy all the time and um, in all contexts, right? And so, you know, a lot of what we're doing when we're trying to think about how we write and doing it better is trying to, again, <laughs> solve problems. But it's trying to figure out what our issues are and how we can make that process go smoother for ourselves and be a little less painful. In the end of the writing process, I would say I experience joy 
But I'm not sure, you know, if we think about happiness versus joy, I think I experienced some joy, but there's some pain, you know, along the way. And I, I want to be careful because there are people that are experiencing much more significant psychological, physical, emotional pain, right? So I'm not trying to make this to be something it isn't. But yeah, I think it's just kind of hard. And one of the things that's helped me and that I talk to students a lot about is why is it difficult? And I think sometimes why it's difficult, or at least for myself and for a lot of people I talk to is because what's happening kind of up here, we're just really having a freaking hard time getting it onto the screen or onto a page, right? If we still, if, if your folks that still think in terms of a page, right? So it's that problem that kind of causes so many other issues, whether it be writer's block, right? Which is the ultimate kind of can't get it from here to there, or it's a sentence. And I think I found that for a lot of people, what's going on up here sometimes is just a level of complexity beyond what they really feel able to manage or to do easily into text on a page or on a screen. So what that leads us to, right? And also, by the way, as we write, we think new thoughts. So we can't stop this from happening while we're writing, which just makes things kind of a bit of a mess, right? It seems the only way to get past that is just to write through it. And so to not worry about whether you're getting it exactly right, to not try to manage that process all the time, and just to write. And so that would be, I guess, I don't know if it's distillable into advice, except just to know, because I think a lot of people look around at their peers, whether they're students or creative writers or whatever, and, and they feel like it comes fairly easy. But it could also be that part of that process comes easy for one person, and but the other parts aren't easy. You know, maybe they're fine getting a first draft out, but then they agonize over every single word. Can people do a one-off that's a masterpiece? Absolutely. Yes, they can. But for most of us, that's that's not it, right? If I were to take a kind of go a slightly different direction and go a much more kind of succinct, kind of just small bit of advice of kind of things I feel like I've discovered or worked myself to over the years, I would say that if you are, you know, if you're writing something, a longer document, for example, arguments of students, right, or writing an argument of some sort, pay more attention to your transitions than people have taught you to pay to them. We don't spend enough time talking about uh, transitions are like the engines, right, in our in our in our text, maybe not the engines, maybe they're track. I don't know. This is maybe a dumb one. Anyway, <laughs> but they, there's something, okay? There's something, fill in the blank, whatever you think they are, but they are the pieces that connect the ideas, right? They should be connecting ideas and not just like be filler words, first, second, also. You really want to think about how are these ideas related? You can like amplify the complexity of your writing so quickly by looking at those transitions. It's just kind of amazing what work they can do, right, for a piece. And if you're struggling with transitions, it's also a sign typically that maybe your organization's not quite right. Why can't you connect the ideas? Right? <laughs> and if you can't connect them, maybe you should think about whether your reader is going to be able to connect them or not. Uh, so that's kind of, I, like I said, a more technical thing that people could just kind of take away when they're thinking about their own writing. And I think we found that too, like, especially with resume writing, it's one of those things you don't do it very often. So it's, it's hard to do because you're teaching, 
yourself every 10 years when you try for a new job, although it's probably mm-hmm. shorter than that now, but it's just like anything else. The more you, the more you work that muscle, the stronger it gets. So, and one thing that I've found, which is I've found interesting is reading has made me a much better writer, especially with transitions and language and dialogue. And, you know, I'm no Ernest Hemingway by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but I'm a much stronger writer now than I was in college because I read a lot more because I have more free time, honestly. But, Absolutely. you know, when you read, you you take in what you like and what you don't like. And then when you're writing, you mirror that. And we've had a lot of people yeah. that write on the podcast. We've had, you know, Jason <laughs> Offit who writes novels. We've had student right. journalists like Andrew Wegley who, you know, can- yeah crank out a news story in five minutes after a basketball game. We've had Dr. Ford who writes, you know, historical novels over in the history department. And mm-hmm. I think the one thing, the thread through all of them is that they do it a lot. You know, it's repetition Absolutely. makes success. So yeah. if yeah. you feel like you can't write out there, just keep doing it. <laughs> That's how you get better. That's right. That's right. You don't show anybody, yeah. right? Um, you don't, yeah, just, just do it. Absolutely. And I think it's hard when you're talking about, like, you're talking about writing a, you know, a cover letter, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really hard to come at something that you don't do very often. Mm-hmm. It's hard. To, I mean, we talk about it as adapting to new genres, but mm-hmm. doing something new is difficult, but it's difficult. I, I also think about writing as akin to a lot of other physical activities, because in the end, it's a physical activity. We are making something, right? We're typing, we're writing, we're writing with pen, whatever, however you do it, right? Dictating it into your phone, whatever. It's still a physical activity. And so I, you know, I sometimes talk about learning to play basketball or how to do a layup or, you know, any of those sorts of things. You're going to get better without doing it. I mean, you can sit around and think all day about how, how somebody might do a layup, but unless you go out there and try to do one, you're not going to think your way completely through how to do a layup and then walk on the court and do one perfectly. You've got to do the physical motions to actually make that happen. I think the other thing, you know, we're talking about people writing some shorter texts. I've been talking to my professional writing students about this are really sneaky, right? Because we think, oh, not so much to organize here. Um, I don't have to think about this as an extended argument and I might in the way I might if I'm writing something longer. But they're sneaky because you still have to do all those things, but just in a much shorter, more controlled way. Because your reader's not gonna spend the time, you know, I mean they're they're not being asked even to spend the time reading a long academic paragraph on something or a long paragraph like we might find in a novel. They want the information and then you got to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So, we struggle with getting people to read emails, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't even make that argument too long. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's its own art. Absolutely. <laughs> well, when you oh, talk about sure. professional writing, I mean, every job description worth its salt has strong oral and written communication skills and emails yeah. and memos and things like that. Like that's professional yeah. communication. I mean, we may not think about it that way, but it really is. So, oh, and that's where technical is. writing is, you know, you can write instruction manuals for stereos as technical writing, but it could also be correspondence mm-hmm. with your coworkers too. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my students were just working on memos actually. So um, yeah, absolutely. We all have those colleagues who are terrible emailers. Mm-hmm. We know you, we, know you. <laughs> we aren't going to out you, but we know you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One other thing that yeah. I don't know if you have really mentioned it overtly, but that kind of, I connected. So I took John's advanced creative writing class Uh uh, my first semester in grad school. And one of the things that he had us do 
Mm-hmm. John being her husband, by the way, also teaches mm-hmm. in the English department. Mm-hmm. We printed off, we we had to write, I don't know, we just had to do some sort of creative writing and uh-huh. we all printed it off on a piece of paper and we had to put it in his mailbox, right? So we have no uh-huh. identity tied into oh, the right, story sure. or poem or whatever it was. It was all anonymous. Yeah. And then we got feedback anonymously. Well, we, we workshopped them in class, but no one had to cop up to like, this is my writing. Right. When you're writing a resume, that type of separation if if you struggle with taking feedback like it's mm-hmm. what people don't understand is like there's a deep emotional tie to mm-hmm. your writing and a, even more when it's about you right, so right. it's really hard to have someone come and look at your yeah. work right it's like they're critiquing you and so there's right. like this emotional component to writing mm-hmm. that i think people don't under they don't they underestimate I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they do. And there's stuff at stake, right? There's there are real things in regards to identity and people's imaginations about their future, right? And when we start to give feedback on some of those things, it it feels like we're taking away some of that, right? I mean, we're we're interfering with it, I should say at least, right? And yeah, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. I was um just having the conversation again, talking to my with my students, they had to do a an assignment where they write a memo to a supervisor who's asked them to do something they think is unethical, okay? To manage the tone and the relationship. And we were talking about drafts and timing, and maybe you don't, maybe you wait 24 hours. I said, you know, here the timing is controlled, you have a due date, you know, but maybe kind of sit with it a little bit because there is that emotional kind of piece, right? And I am just like, I don't consider myself a, I mean, I guess I'm doing what I'm doing. So I guess I've had some success in writing, but, you know, I don't consider myself like an overly successful writer um, necessarily. Um, And I have a lot of similarities with my students and other people that are just starting to write. And that absolutely, if I share a draft with somebody, you know what I want them to say? And I hold out a little hope that they will say it and they never do. They'll say, it's perfect, just like it is. <laughs> Don't have to change anything. <laughs> Don't touch it. That's what everybody wants. Don't touch it, right? Because it just like, as soon as the feedback comes, there's all the sorting through the feedback that you have to do, you know? There's all the stuff back there about, you know, if you're talking about cover letters, you know, or other job application documents or things applying to grad school, where you have that little thing going in the back of your head, am I good enough? Right? Am I really qualified for this? Um, can I really do this? And straight then straight up impo- straight up confronting the imposter syndrome. Straight up. It is. And you know, you just kind of just have to take it. You just have to let it wash over you and then sort through it. But it's yeah, it's hard. It's hard stuff. So it's also great when people say, Yeah, this is good. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the thing students don't understand, it's not only hard to get that feedback, but it's hard to give the feedback too. Like, I'm sure you didn't have a class in college or grad school or your PhD program that was like, here's how you critique a crappy paper. Like, you just have to learn, right? So it's hard to just know how to give feedback. Like, you know, that critical writing is hard. You know, it's not an easy task. So I've started doing this thing that I really like, and I'm very lucky because I only teach two classes and I teach upper level classes. A lot of the times, not always. So I have small class sizes, but I've started doing feedback sessions. And so in order to get the grade, and I don't hang it out there like a carrot, you know, but the way grading works um, in my classes 
is that students have to come in and talk with me about their piece of writing. And I ask them how the process go for you, what are your concerns about it, and so on. And then I give them my feedback right there as verbally as opposed to writing it out. And then I give them the grade. And I say, does that fit with what you thought? And I'll try to be fair about it because I don't want to make, I'm not trying to force anybody to say, yes, you know what? I'm very happy with that low grade you just gave me, you know, or to say, yes, I thought I completely deserved that high grade. You know, I'm trying not to get into weirdness, but um, it's been super enlightening uh, what what people say less about the grade. It kind of de-emphasizes the grade a little bit and it becomes much more about the feedback and they can, it's not a one way. They can say, well, here's why I did it. And because I'm not, I'm teaching writing. I'm not teaching somebody. These case studies they just did, they're never writing those again. I don't care about making those perfect, right? I'm, I'm looking for what are the bankable ideas that they can carry forward. And so when they say something to me like, well, I understand what you're saying, but here's why I did it this way. Also, it usually results in the grades being higher. I mean, like I said, we're kind of de-emphasizing the grades in that process, but it almost always results in the grades being higher because I can hear what they're thinking. And they impress me with what they're thinking. I mean, they may not in the end make the decision that I think is best, but they were trying to make one. <laughs> they went through a thought process and landed there. So I don't know. It's cool. Hmm. I also find it easier. I mean, even just what we do with giving feedback, mm -hmm. it's impossible for me to give, to handwrite all the the amount of feedback that I need to give you on your one page resume, right? It's so much easier, even just a phone call. Hey, are you looking at this document? Am I looking at this document to talk mm -hmm. through it? It's, it's just so much easier because it's so, it's so deep and, and it's, mm -hmm. there's so much conversation around these very simple things that you've written so much. Like you said, the thought process behind it is so important. And mm -hmm. so it's yeah. just very hard to give written feedback on writing. Yeah, absolutely. So in the, I know I've talked a bit, uh, quite a bit about the professional writing class, but one of the shifts we start to make in there too is to have, you know, I try to look at things kind of like a supervisor. So there's a different kind of feedback. And I, I, I did the tough thing today of saying, some of you performed at a level that you'll be considered for more complex, more interesting projects in the future. Most of you did okay but there's a question mark over your head right? <laughs> about, you know, from a supervisor's right. perspective, if you're new in the job and this is the first stuff I'm getting, those people that did really well, I say, oh, they, there might be a promotion in their future, right? There might be, I'm, I'm now thinking about what other projects can I put them on? Because they did a really great job and I think they could help out over here and over here, right? And then those people in the middle that, like I said, it's a question mark. And we're, I'm saying, you know, you did good stuff but what's going to come of you, right? In this position, are you going to grow? Are you going to, are you going to stay here? Are you going to drop off? So this is that kind of thing. And then there are those folks also in the other group that it's like, okay, you're here in this job for a reason because you have the background to be here, right? You, you, you're, and if you think about it, even in terms of class, right? You've done the classes, you've done the prerequisites and so forth, right? You're here. Um, the curriculum is designed in a way that you should be able to be successful. But maybe you weren't as successful out of the gate, you know. So then, are you? How much growth are you capable of? How? Uh, where? Where are you going to get to? Um, and those are kind of a different kind of feedback, and also kind of tough conversations. Yeah, so kind of. It was a little. Uh, I'd be. I'm. You know, I'll, I'll check in with my students on another day and say, "How was that exactly?" You know, 
yeah, in the moment I was like, I don't know how this is going so much. So, yeah. So I'm curious, when I think of like language literature and writing in English, uh-huh. like I think of that kind of being classics like it's kind of Mm. it is what it is you teach what you teach it doesn't doesn't blow in the wind like Mm. you know maybe like (laughs) ag or mass calm or some of the ones that have you've never taken a class with john gallagher i've not that's very (laughs) true i've not so that's true but i'm curious how much how much does like current events and technology and post-covid life like how much does that affect like what you do in language literature writing like at the curricular level like are you are you changing what you teach students is it still basically the same i mean and again that's someone who's not an english major and took the minimum of english classes i had to my assumption is literature is always literature writing is always writing that's i'm sure not true but how much does it actually change um it changes quite a bit uh, you know, I think of us maybe a little bit like folks in history or something, right, where a lot of the stuff never goes away, right? I mean, there's still you still have the classics that you had. Um, they're still important, but we just keep kind of adding to it. And then there are some things that do happen that are that are really significant shifts, right? So I've been talking about, you know, my professional writing class. The last time I taught this course, I used to teach it a lot. Um, and I've taught it at other schools as well before coming here. And But the last time I taught it was 2006. So fascinatingly, the major genres that are the major types of writing, proposals, memos, letters, instructions, those are all pretty stable. Those have stayed the same, but how we deliver them is different. So, you know, if, if students are writing instructions, they've also got to be thinking about having those instructions be online um, because that's where a lot of people are going to access them. Um, then you got to think about it. Is it on your phone? <laughs> you know, where are you really going to see this? Um, if you're fixing your washer, right? Uh, maybe you've got your phone right there and you're looking at the instructions there for doing that. So there are those kinds of changes, kind of tech changes. We've had um, in literature, of course, and in Spanish, we haven't talked, you know, I'm kind of in the, using the old terminology of English, we're kind of, I'm, I'm kind of on that side of the house myself in my own work, but as chair, right, we have languages as well. Um, and things in languages are always evolving. I mean, the language is evolving for sure. Um, we have, you know, kind of ways that um, particular, you know, uh, patterns of speech or particular vocabulary, right, kind of gets changes up. We also have a lot of kind of political, you know, socio-political influences on how our material is taught because we are um, about getting students to think and write about their worlds. And so if they're in language, right, if they're if they're working with um, Dr. Dickey or Dr. Uh, Palacios Perez, they are, they're learning a lot about what it means to speak another language and what it is to interact with people globally and cross-culturally. And that changes as our socio-cultural, who we are, who our society is, what our beliefs are, what our values are, those things change. So it's, we kind of keep doing what we're doing. We say, okay, we study writing, we study literature, we study Spanish, but all these forces around us are kind of having an impact. So all the time it changes what we're doing. Any uh, last sort of like words of wisdom for someone who might be, I don't know, looking (laughs) for a job or thinking about what to do with their future? I always try to think about, I mean, I don't know, we have too many college students listening, but Maybe they're someone who's been working. Maybe they have done oil and gas and they have done (laughs) nursing home supply, but they're looking for that next, that future role, like any words of wisdom. I don't know that I, you know, I'm, 
there are lots of different different directions I could kind of go with that, right? And I talked already about kind of making the most of the opportunity that's in front of you. Um, saying yes, right, I think is really super important for a lot of students. So much of the work that's being done in my area is changing. We have more jobs, I think, or maybe they're just different, um, that are kind of writing tagged or that are looking for students' ability to communicate clearly, to be able to read well, um, to be able to process information and create text, right? Whether it be somebody who's doing interpreting in Spanish, or it's somebody that's coming from a, um, out of a literary background that goes into wanting to become an attorney, right? So more and more, I think, now I'm not in career services, so I could be wrong. But I, I think from what I'm hearing that we see people that are moving around to a, a bunch of different kinds of jobs. And it's those kinds of skills of reading and writing that are going to be transferable no matter what. As well, don't undervalue the reading and writing you do in your daily lives. Our students write probably more. They write different kinds of things, but they also write more than many students of our past. And there's really good work happening there. And I don't mean that just in like a make it into a product sort of way, but I mean, just like, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they're doing good work, right? Our, our <laughs> students doing the writing. I mean, they're negotiating really complex situations. And I would love it if they thought about those things more, right? And and some people who are out might be out in jobs and they're looking, like you said, Hannah, to transition into something else. Don't overlook those successes because um, I think they're important. And they could, they're really easy, easy to kind of pour into an interview situation and talk about how you navigated a communication challenge or how you navigated a writing challenge. And um, that's, I think, something that people like to see. Awesome. That's excellent Great advice. Wisdom. Yep, absolutely. Gosh, I don't know. We'll, we'll yep. see. Anybody who applies this advice, let me know how it goes. All right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was great. Thank you. Yeah, this has been fun. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Well, that will do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat, and we'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.